as with any sort of, you know, cadence or, or forward movement with something, it takes a little bit of effort to get that wheel rolling. But once you get into that routine, it really then starts running itself. Ultimately, we're trying to make better decisions and use research and insight to inform that. And so mixed method approach, customer, market, competitor, it doesn't really matter. It's about getting this broader understanding of how we can use insight to move forward, both for the product and the business. This is Skilled by Design, a podcast for experienced designers and product managers that want to deliberately grow their skills and become better humans in the process. I'm your host, Tommy Bay, and today I'm talking with Nick Russell and Dan Robbins. They are co-founders of a London-based research insights company called Dualo, and I'm excited to hear what they have to teach us about being better researchers. I guess first I'll mention the way that we got connected was kind of random because I had reached out to Nick and had said, hey, um, I'm interested in talking to you because you've got this, this research background. And he didn't respond. I had reached out on LinkedIn and he didn't respond right away. In the meantime, Dan reached out to me and was like, hey, I'm doing some research and I'd, I'd be interested in talking to you about what's going on in your company research-wise. And so we ended up connecting, having a call, uh, had, had a great chat. And then a couple of days later, Nick got back to me and was like, yeah, let's talk. And so we jumped on a call. And right before I jumped on, I noticed that that you had founded this company that Dan worked at. And I was like, wait a minute, do you do you know Dan? And you were like, yeah, he's like my my best friend. And we did <laughs> this company together. I was like, what the heck? Anyway, so... Thank you for being here. Kind of funny how we yeah. connected. Nick, tell us about Dualo and, and what you're doing. Yeah, sure thing. So at Dualo, we, we help teams unlock this value that they have hidden in their existing research data. So what we've come to realize is that there is so much opportunity and so much value hidden in these different reports and apps across the business um, and we come in and we we help teams to to uncover that pot of gold that they're sat on top of and really maximize that. So we've built this stakeholder friendly repository that helps teams to bring all that stuff together to showcase this across their organization. And we offer this service where our team actually take your research data and build an insights repository for you. So you can carry on doing research. You can carry on going through all the recruitment side of things doing the stuff that needs to be done alongside the repository. Um, and we offer you a strategic view of that data, a review of how your data plugs together, gaps that you might not have spotted and things like that. So we partner with teams to help them build these awesome insight repositories and unlock that value. Yeah, fantastic. And then the, the thing that struck me uh, when I became acquainted with you and what you were doing uh, and Dan, maybe you can speak to this, is is the research that you are doing yourselves mm. for your company. So tell me a little That's bit. That's right. So myself, I actually came from more of a sort of design background. It sort of started off in UX architecture, but a lot of definitely more product design focused. But I'd sort of chatted to Nick about this for years. As you mentioned, we've been friends for 20, 25 years now. We've been 
best buddies for a while. And, you know, whilst we'd sort of gone down different paths in our career, we were both working in digital products and we'd always discuss research and access to insights and how we'd love to do this big discovery piece together in some stage. And when we first started out the business, we, we spent a good six months up front before we even incorporated the business, just doing research, just purely discovery calls, interviews, prototype testing, anything we could do that in reality is quite difficult on a commercial project, right? That everyone sets out with the best intentions of discovery, but so often the business and its requirements and budget and capacity constraints all come in and it becomes a little bit difficult to really do that. And so it was a really ambition of as was to start a business which was built on the right foundations and actually had a full pure discovery up front. So we did that for the best part of six months, well over a hundred interviews, but I think nearly 10 prototypes we tested up front. Was it Nick? Something like that. Yeah. yeah and yeah. <laughs> and I think we kind of came to realize that wow, this this is an incredible experience, not only for us as growing as individuals in our own fields, but we've uncovered so much opportunity and so much insight from this. Why would we not continue in this fashion? And so we kind of made this pact that if we're going to continue and make this into a business, we're going to continue with this discovery. It's not something that just stands still, you know, if we'd have just, you know, taken that insight we gained from that six months upfront discovery three years ago, the market has moved on so much. The industry has, the world has, you know, considering we were doing this at the very start of COVID, then, you know, I think we'd be developing a product now, which wasn't necessarily meeting the needs of the current market. And so continuing to do this research and continuous discovery has become an integral part of our business. And we continue to have, I think I have about five to seven calls a day, you know, and that can vary from, you know, calls with customers, prospects, but also just general discovery calls with interesting people, leaders in the space. And, you know, as you mentioned, that's how I kind of got in touch with you, Tommy, just to have a bit of a chat. I think it's really cool. Um, a question that, that I run into a lot because I've been, I've been in this space for a while and I believe that research is important, but I still don't make time for it every day. And sometimes not every week or, you know, sometimes I'll, I'll look at my calendar and realize it's been a month and I haven't talked to a single or user. And, you know, mm. I, I wonder, you know, why is that? Am I an anomaly? Uh, you talk to a lot of people. Like, do you find that generally speaking, uh, designers and product people are doing their their customer research or not? Uh, I think with with the sort of continuous nature of things and and get working your way up to that, you really have to commit to making this a practice, like making this a, a habit that you that you do on a continuous basis, right? So when we when we started out, obviously during that six month process that Dan talked about, it was very easy for us to be doing discovery because that's all we were focused on, right? So we were reaching out, setting up calls, asking for introductions, and the whole thing kind of flowed through quite naturally. I think where things become more difficult is then when that discovery nature of your role isn't the full breadth, isn't the full 100% of what you're doing, and it might be half of what you're doing, it might be less than that. And so what we found, I mean, in the same way that a designer won't be doing research all the time, you know, and even researchers won't be conducting research all the time, 
as founders, we have tons of other jobs to do and tons of other hats to wear. So we have got into the routine of making sure that each morning we're carving out, you know, an hour's worth of time where we'll be reaching out to people and seeing if they're interested in talking with us and following up with people that we might not yet have heard back from to see if they've got some time to speak with us. And so it's about building a, a bit of a process around it. And there needs to be light enough touch to, to make sure that you're not sort of drowning in, in, in process, but, but also enough there and enough of a commitment each day and really is from our perspective is simply just carving out the time in the calendar to make sure that you, that you get into the rhythm of it. And as with any sort of, you know, cadence or, or forward movement with something, it takes a little bit of effort to get that wheel rolling. And in our experience, Dan and I have been, you know, had each other to motivate each other, uh, you know, to, to keep challenging each other. Hey, how many calls have you got going on? Who are you speaking with? Sharing the learnings. But once you get into that routine, it really then starts running itself. And so I think that's how um, that's how you make the magic happen. You really just have to commit a certain amount of time a day. Think about the process of always touching base with at least X customers a day and the rest will follow. As long as you're reaching out and as long as you're kind of interacting with that part of the of the world, it starts to pay itself back. But it's got to be consistent, like going to the gym or cleaning your teeth or anything like that <laughs> it's got to be yeah. a consistent habit <laughs> i think part of it also comes down to the organization and also your personal aspirations as where you'd like to take your career you know i've worked with loads of super talented designers who are purely focused on ui you know that's just their passion that's what they're excellent at and that's what they want to continue honing in their craft on and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that equally i speak to a lot of designers or in particular UX designers or product designers who are looking to broaden their skills when it comes to to research as well and I think that a lot of you great UX design starts with user insights and research is obviously an integral part of that design process but it doesn't mean that you necessarily have to be doing research in order to broaden your skills as a designer there's lots of different ways and avenues of doing that but for people that are interested in, in that sort of research side of things, I think it comes down to showing people the value of that research. You know, it's about taking some initiative, being a bit proactive, going away and doing an interview or chatting to someone. It doesn't cost anything to reach out to someone on LinkedIn, like all three of us have experienced. And that's the reason why we're here today. Right. And a half an hour conversation could draw upon two or three interesting insights that you can go back to leaders, design leaders, stakeholders in your organization say, hey, look, I've spoken to a few people, I've found some interesting things out. Why don't we continue to explore this area? And that's how you can start to build a culture around that as well by showing the value, not necessarily just talking about what you want to do. Yeah, definitely. And to, and to, to, to add to that, what Dan's talking about, you know, like both of us have worked at companies where you are, you know, you have the access to customers where you can do that. It's not safeguarded by a proposition team or some team that feels like they own the customer. And quite a few conversations we've had on LinkedIn with people, you know, around some of the content we're posting is around, well, what do you do when you don't have that access to that customer? And I think what Dan's highlighted there is, is, is absolutely perfect. As in, if you don't have access to your customers at your organization, and you're finding that's a barrier to be doing more of this stuff, if that's of interest to you and how you want to develop your your skills and the, and the company's capability 
is you know finding people on LinkedIn that match the profile of the customers that your company do have already. And the benefit of that is not only do you get to speak with those people and gain insights, but you might also then grow the business for the for the company because they might actually end up becoming a customer. So never forget that we have this beautiful access to these platforms like LinkedIn where we are empowered to reach out and chat with people regardless of the constraints that exist or you know that, that might be blocking us within a company. So yeah, it's it's a very powerful tool. Yeah, I, I think that that is great advice because that is a real thing. Designers feel like they get stuck, like nobody's helping me to get this done. And, and then it just doesn't happen. But if we can build skills around being proactive and being inventive about the ways that you go and find people to talk to, even if they're not actually your customers, those insights will will pay dividends for sure. Yeah. And I think it's about being under no illusion that the organization itself needs to be ready for such a broadening. You know, if you haven't done any or conducted any research in the past, it needs to be kind of insight ready. Uh, I had an interesting chat with a lady called Janelle Ward. She's from more of an academic research background, but she was talking about how it's a really tough job to be a researcher at a lower maturity organization that hasn't quite recognized the power and capabilities and opportunity that comes with research knowing what you could be doing and doing that kind of thing maybe having done it in a previous role you know and then staying in your corner or feeling pressure to do so you know it can be a, a real challenge but how i've at least spoken to her and other people around the industry that have overcome that it really is about just demonstrating the value and maybe just being a little bit cheeky and proactive about it <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah sometimes that's what it takes one of the big things that I'm running up against right now in my organization is, is a little bit of a lack of strategy. So I work in an insurance company. And so our product is insurance, but we have all of our web services that we provide to our customers so that they can use our product, you know, paying bills, quoting insurance, uh, filing claims, all of that stuff. Um, and and so we've got we've got great people who are trying to make improvements on all of these things uh -huh. that we use. Uh, but a lot of times I get asked to work on things and and I can't see why. Like, why do you want me to do that? Why do you want me to work on that? And there's not a good reason other than they think maybe it'll be helpful to somebody. And being able to map that back to some kind of strategy, like, Here's what we're trying to do. Here's what we're trying to accomplish. Will making these changes in our product get us there? But connecting those dots, um, how how have you seen research help to connect those dots? Like, have you seen situations like this? Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. So the the connecting of the dots between where a business want, wants to head and 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 what its customers are looking to do with their lives by you know hiring or using this product or service that this business is is offering that really is a really strong opportunity where research can come in and and, and play a, a strategic role right it's like you know what what we often see from from the people that we're speaking with is that the business might get to a point where it's starting to lean more on research. It's scaled to the point where the founders' ideas are running low and, and, and there needs to be this kind of more conversation with, with customers and what they're looking for. Um, 
And at the same time, researchers, are, designers are being, you know, asked to speak with more customers and, and understand what, what those customers are, are looking for. And both of those parties end up becoming so involved in their own worlds there, as in the business is so set on, well, this is what we need to do next, as you say there, Tommy, because we think this might help the customer, right? At the end of the day, what they really mean is they're drying up on ideas now and they, they really need a hand on where to steer this ship next. And then on the researcher side of things, it's so easy. Like we've both been there working on product teams. You know, we've probably fallen victim to it a little bit. At Jewelo ourselves is you get so engrossed in the customer that often you lose sight of actually where the business is, is, is trying to head to. And so what we found is that by looking at the data that, that your, your team, your company already hold, that might be research reports, previous survey outputs, you know, industry papers that you're gathering along the way or have been gathered along the way and curating that but by bringing that together and understanding the sort of themes in what customers are actually asking for if you're able to build up that view of of really what the data that you've gathered so far is telling you you can use that to then either validate that what the business is saying is where we need to head next is right or bring new ideas to the table as in hang on a second these objectives that we're going after for the next quarter the next half there is nothing in our data that is is supporting that and actually we've found a whole ton of stuff here that you know our customers are asking for that our competitors aren't doing and would be a really good match for us in terms of our tech stack and what we're able to deliver and so in terms of the, you know, to bring it back to your question, research has that really powerful ability to truly connect the dots between the customer objectives and the business objectives and, and make sure that both of those parties are moving forward in the right direction. And that's ultimately business one-on-one, right? You need both of those parties moving in the right direction. Research can really be the glue. So it's how do we capitalize on that and how do we encourage that use of research to help with strategic direction? Yeah. You said something interesting there, kind of in passing, knowing what your competitors uh, are doing or aren't doing and, and how that can give you an edge. And I think that that's interesting. I think that these calls that you're doing where you're, you're just trying to stay in touch, a lot of that is probably market research uh, on top of you know customer and other types of, of research. And how valuable that can also be if we as as designers, as product managers, uh, if we lose track of what the market's doing, not just what our customers want to do, but what oh. other what our competitors are doing, you know, doing that kind of competitive analysis all along the way, uh, we lose out on opportunities to to be more strategic. So I, I like that. I'm glad you mentioned that. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, it's about mixed method research at the end of the day. It's about, you know, speaking to customer, but research can also entail speaking to stakeholders within your own organization and understanding, you know, the direction they want to head in, what their needs are. And I think that something I always kind of come back to when it comes to research is that we are there to help support and make better, more informed, less risky decisions, whether that's decisions on the product and that are going to benefit our users or decisions that are going to benefit our stakeholders with the decisions they're making around the business. Ultimately, we're trying to make better decisions and use research and insight to inform that. And so 
mixed method approach, customer, market, competitor, it doesn't really matter. It's about getting this broader understanding of how we can use insight to move forwards, both for the product and the business. I, I completely agree. It's we're, we're in the business of, with research, like we, we talk about delivering decisions, right? Not necessarily, you know, it doesn't matter what format that decision is passed through, whether that's a deck or whether that's a sheet, whatever, whatever your repository. Um, but it's, it's, that's the beauty of research is it's the ability to de-risk, increase confidence and deliver better decisions. And I think as soon as you start showcasing that on a, on a smaller level, you know, I've gone and I've taken the initiative to talk to three people that fit our customer profile. I've learned these insights. This is important because it maps to this objective and this is what we should do next. That's really, I think, how that's really going to stand you apart or help to provide that extra value in your role within your organization and become recognized as that sort of next level researcher advisor within your team. So it's about decisions. It's it's not necessarily about just providing data. Talk to me about the tracking. So you are helping people find insights uh, from their research. In talking to you know so many people, so many organizations, do most teams have a way that they're recording their research findings? Yeah. I'd, yeah, I'd say for the most part, slide decks are like a currency of a lot of organizations, whether we like it or not, most people don't. <laughs> but, you know, from a sort of perspective of, you know, culturally, a lot of information is communicated via reports a lot of the time as a slide deck. And so a lot of the customers that we speak to are sitting on this pot of gold, you know, they've got... 50, 60 slide decks full of interesting strategic insights that they haven't yet managed to fully leverage, right? There's, there's a real tendency to do research in isolation, to working on a specific project or within a certain product in an organization or a certain initiative. And the key insights that are derived from that piece of research or discovery are communicated to immediate stakeholders and probably hopefully put into action but after the fact where does that slide deck go it often just kind of collects dust on a shared drive somewhere some teams we speak to are starting to kind of index that to some degree using things like wikis and sheets to sort of say hey like if you're looking for research about x go and check out these 10 different decks and where we sort of recognized that there was an opportunity there is that there's so much strategic value in the insights that are inside of those reports, which might not necessarily be obvious by the report's title that they might hold insight about a particular nuance or interesting kind of area of a product that might have also been picked up along the way during that discovery process. I call these kind of satellite insights as interesting names that I've heard for them, but the kind of insights that don't necessarily meet your research objective, they might not explicitly help to answer your research question, but nonetheless are a powerful insight that you've learned about your customers, your product, your business, your market, that in the future could hold a lot of strategic value for someone that might be looking for insight or knowledge about a certain area. And so it's about 
finding ways in which you can extract those insights so they are indexed individually and findable in the future. And that's what we're kind of focused on really. At, to go back to your, your question, Tommy, the most part of teams we speak to are presenting these recommendations and findings back using some form of report for a lot of the time as a slide deck. Where we're focused is helping to unlock value from those reports moving forward. And what you can start to find is that when you start to extract insights and you start to index them, you can then start to quantify qualitative information. And that's where some really interesting patterns and opportunities start to emerge because you can say, we thought we had a bunch of insight about this particular area of our product, but based on this, we really don't, or we should be focusing more on this, or half of our insights were derived from user interviews. Perhaps we're overemphasizing on user interviews and we should be employing more of a mixed method approach. And so you can start to be more strategic with your research when you start to consolidate it and organize it in a certain way. And that's what we're sort of exploring as much as possible in our conversations. And that's what we chatted about a little bit, Tommy, a few weeks ago. Yeah, absolutely. You've, you've logged probably what, thousands of hours mm. doing, you know, these research calls and whatnot. Can you, I know these kinds of questions are, are hard sometimes, but can you remember back to when you were just getting started what seemed like it was hard that has become easier? Like, I guess, what skills can you identify that you've actually grown over time that that have helped you to be better better researchers, better at, at discovery? Yeah, that is yeah. a very good question. I mean, I can fire from the hip here and sort of say that I think that when we first started our discovery process, there's an overemphasis on packaging up data. You know, we used to spend hours after calls in our initial discovery on Miro boards, putting thousands of post-it notes, doing big kind of affinity mapping exercises to kind of spot patterns and all this information. And I think that the more time you spend in this world, the more comfortable you become with being able to do that a little bit less formulaically, if that's a word, uh, but in a way that's a little bit more fluid um, and spending less time on packaging up big sort of analysis pieces and presenting those back to the team and actually having some more informal conversations about what you've learned with data to back it. I mean, that would be my sort of off the cuff answer there, but I don't know if you had an interesting one there. Yeah, no, I think that's great. I, I think a couple of other things that, that we, we've definitely learned to do much better as we've done more of this is is firstly I think just like and it's so cliche right is is like learning to actually listen and empathize to the person that's on the call with you I think there's so much sort of built up excitement and sort of like this nervous energy that you get when you first start doing this where you land your first few calls you've created a little script and you're really you know eager to just start chatting with this person and learn about them that you almost you don't sit actually in that moment and think this is more about them than it is me. Like th this is a good call. If that person is talking more and I'm understanding more about them, then trying to nail all these questions that are on the screen in front of me. So that's been something that, you know, Dan and I continuously test each other. on. I mean, we started out versioning our, our discovery scripts. I think now we just, 
in this Google Doc every day, we're just making suggestions and just accepting or declining them across the both of us just because each time this bit didn't land so well, or this bit felt a little bit like leading or, you know, this one just, I don't know what happened with that question. Like, so we're continually improving that. So I think there's that kind of fundamental, like back to, you know, principles of just listening and empathizing. And that only comes with just pure exposure and doing lots and lots of this and understanding what feels like a good conversation. And it's really a feeling like when you come off a call and you're like, that was great. I really connected with that person. I really learned about their problems and I think we can help. And sort of linked to that point is, is just the importance of the questions that you're asking as well. And I think that's a skill that, that there's tons of resources available online. You know, you, there's things you can read, blogs and classes and webinars you can join for this type of stuff. But the importance of getting the question right to provide enough room for the person that you're speaking with to answer the question honestly and from from the right place but with enough guidance so that you don't spend the first 10 minutes talking about what they did on the weekend and how research is you know was something that they fell in love with as a child and you know you're just not getting right to today and, and what the problem is now so I think there's a there's a fine art in terms of crafting the right questions to to provide the right level of flow through an interview and again it's 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 one of those things it's very much art and science right you've got to just keep reading keep speaking with people applying this stuff and yeah I'm blessed enough to have a co-founder that's doing a very similar field of work at the moment as, as I am so we can bounce this stuff it's the importance of finding other people that are doing this at the same level of journey as you are so you can just openly and honestly critique each other and 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 get better that way. Yeah, that's a lot. There's a lot there. So many skills of communication, but also of caring and of organization and thinking. There's a lot there. I like where you landed though, finding an advocate, you know, um, somebody that can help you on the journey. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. yeah. I, it can I be a lonely business good. trying to bring in research single-handedly and it's actually something that we work with teams on a lot we put a lot of emphasis on the onboarding onto our platform but also the further wider rollouts around building champions building evangelists building collaborators within your organization people that are like-minded people that are interested in exploring this avenue and understand or want to understand how research can be applied to their specific environment and I think it's just so important to seek other people and build a committee build a build, build a little group of champions you know it can be very powerful when you're coming together even from different departments to collectively start enacting change love it so <clears throat> if we're thinking about uh, if we're thinking about designers who may want to get better at doing research, mm -hmm. what, what would your recommendation be for somebody who's just starting out? Uh, maybe they just took a, you know, a, I don't know, a boot camp or they've done some school or whatever. Uh, they're just mm -hmm. getting into it and, and they've maybe learned about the, the fundamentals, but what, where would you, where would you direct them to, to really keep momentum and and make research a permanent part of of their practice regardless of of whether they're you know doubling down on 
you know, on information architecture or visual design, or if they want to evolve into a research role, like what, what advice would you give? It's a good question. So I would say that you need to start being a little bit experimental. I touched upon it earlier about showing the way. It's about familiarizing yourself with some of the more common techniques that you might have learned about, say, in this sort of hypothetical situation where you might have done a course and some of the more common discovery methods, you know, around user interviews, maybe some surveys, maybe some competitor analysis, just some of the ones that we've mentioned today. But then also at the other end of the sort of like the full cycle, when you start then testing some of these solutions using usability testing, prototyping, heuristic evaluations, sort of different methods essentially, and just familiarizing yourself with them, becoming a little bit more comfortable about understanding what they do, the purpose of them, what value they might bring, and find a project where you can do some of that discovery research, maybe upfront, do the bit that you're now that you're already kind of doing well, which is maybe the design part in the middle, and then test some of those ideas as well. So you can take people on that journey and say, hey, look, before I dive into designs, I spoke to some people, get some interesting insight. This is how I've applied those insights into these designs. When I then tested these designs in a prototype format, I uncovered some more insights. So we've made some adjustments. And by talking and taking people through that journey, particularly in perhaps some lower maturity organizations where research isn't necessarily baked into the everyday process, I've always found that it's very helpful to show the way rather than say, hey, look, we should be doing research. I want to go away and do it. And it's a, it's a much more difficult sell to a stakeholder who's you know very budget aware and very time constrained to say, okay, cool, yeah, let's spend an extra week up front and at the end making sure that we're building the right thing here is actually being a bit more proactive as we talked about at the beginning of the call putting into use some of these techniques and then taking people on that journey i think that can really help to start building your skills so that you can actually apply some of these ideas and concepts that you've learned about but also start proving and demonstrating some value in your organization so you can continue to do that and that does become more baked into your everyday process that's probably how what i would recommend yeah. Don't wait for permission. I like that. Uh, <laughs> exactly. Absolutely. <laughs> were you going to add something, Nick? No, no, I think that was great. I mean, the only thing that was going through my mind there was just that it's, it is so specific to where you are as an individual and also where your organization is, right? And we've touched on some of this as part of today's conversation. And I think, you know, if you do, if you are already doing elements of, of of research by way of testing, you know, concepts or prototypes with customers, and you can move more towards the sort of exploratory stuff if that's of your interest, then then great. You know, you can you can flex and try those different techniques that you're reading about and learning about online. Sometimes it really is a case of just like people will say, we just don't speak to our customers. You know, <laughs> like what do we do in this position? Like how I, I don't even know how I can get started on this thing? How do I even, I don't have any parallel work that I can transition these skills towards and do more of this. And in that case, you know, what we suggest is is finding just five, five people, you know, that you could reach out to either direct customers or people on LinkedIn again, like we, like we discussed earlier and just start to connect with those real people. Like that's the richest form of, of understanding your customer and from there you can branch out into 
things like surveying to test certain insights at scale and starting to spin up designs and things like that. But it fundamentally, it all starts with just communicating between one human being and another human being. And if you can just get started with five conversations, you can get that done in like a two week period, one week of just planning who you're going to speak to alongside all your other stuff. The next week of conducting those like in a fortnight, in a sprint, you're going to be a level above and beyond where you even realized you would be when you when you had the idea to do this so it really is about just getting started I think that's the common theme that's coming from this conversation is just put yourself out there and, and go and chat with some people and see what comes of it and then and then yeah <laughs> the rest will follow and I think part of it can come down to you know remembering that you're working for a business as Nick talked about there why are you doing the project in the first place and how can research support you in achieving those goals or those outcomes and applying what you've learned to help with that rather than doing research for research sake you know I think it's a case of being a bit strategic with it and choosing the right time to, to test these ideas and these concepts these processes knowing that the output is something you can present back to someone and take through on that journey so that they can buy into that in the future and be more proactively suggesting that you go and do research the next time an opportunity comes around. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So people who are listening right now, if you're in your car, wait till the next stoplight, but block <laughs> out an hour in your calendar right now so that you can go and and start reaching out to people, schedule these things. I, I think that that's so true. I was going to ask, well, what about the senior level people? You know, what about people who've been in their career for a while and are in a rut and haven't been doing research and they want to pull themselves out? Um, and I don't know, maybe you'll have different a different answer for them. But uh, I'm guessing that just do it is kind of the the same the, the same uh, recommendation. An interesting hack, you know, we talked about LinkedIn a little bit that we, you know, throughout this interview, but something that Nick and I make a, a point of doing is I think you can get like 100 or so outreach connection requests per week using LinkedIn. So Nick and I max that out every single week. We block out some time on a Monday, send out some connection requests to people that are interesting, people that are in your space, people that you aspire to be able to chat to sometimes, maybe super senior people, maybe some people you'd love to be able to mentor, you know, whatever it is, it's an outreach opportunity. When you then see what connection requests have come through, that's an opportunity to start engaging with other people in the space, with customers, with people in your market. And, you know, it's always going to be a positive thing to start growing a network. And so, Doing that, you know, it doesn't matter how senior someone is or how not, you know, how junior they might be. I think that there's always going to be benefits to growing a network in that way. Yeah, absolutely. I think too, I was just thinking about a person on my team who we had started this, a voice of the customer program and tried to make it a little bit more formal internally where, where we had uh, a way for for our customers to opt in and say, yeah, we'd be interested in giving you feedback, so that we have a list to go to and and reach out and say, hey, we need some input on you know X or Y, and and they could say, sure, I could, I've got a few minutes to to give you my thoughts, and and so we were trying to roll this out and get people excited about about doing these these outreaches, and uh, I found out that one of one of my 
senior designers hadn't done it yet at all, like hadn't made any calls. And turned out he just felt uncomfortable. He wasn't sure like what, what it was going to be like, you know, what, what that experience is going to be. And so we did one together and he joined a call that, that I was doing and, and he was, he was hooked, you know, he, he walked uh-huh. away going, that was easy and insightful. Like that was yeah. helpful and fun and, yeah. and it made it so much easier. So I, I do think, yeah, just, just doing it, doing the outreach, connecting with people and finding like, oh yeah, people yeah. are people. Absolutely. And there's never going to be any issue if, you know, we had an intern at one point that was looking to understand a bit more about that process and hadn't similarly sat on an interview before or one of those types of calls. And by just joining at the beginning and saying, hello, I'm going to switch my camera off now and just observe through this interview, no one's ever had an issue with that, right? It can be a great way to sort of introduce the process and, you know, again, collaborate with someone in your team to understand the real value of doing this. And I think that once you see, you know, just how easy it is and how much of an understanding you can develop from speaking to people, then you'd be a bit more keen to just get stuck in yourself and do it just on your own maybe next time. If you could recommend one thing for people to do today besides blocking time out of their calendar, what what would that be? I think it's just the remembering that research is there to support you in your endeavors. You know, it's not about just doing interviews like we've talked to a lot about today or even doing surveys or validating existing decisions or design assumptions we might have. It's about getting everyone on board with a way of approaching problem solving. Now, I think that this perception that research delivers something, it doesn't necessarily do justice to what research is. I think it's an approach, you know, a principle that we can all embody, regardless of your role, that will can really bring a significant amount of not only value to your organization, but also you as an individual and what you're doing as your career. Yeah, I would say if I was to recommend a few things, I would say go onto LinkedIn off the back of listening to this podcast. If you haven't already started looking, like connect with 10 people that the platform is recommending you anyway to reach out to, you know, it's doing that for a reason because they are matching your industry or your skills or, you know, the companies that you're interested in. So connect with 10 people, see what comes back try and set up a conversation. And I would think in terms of like, so that's from an individual perspective, from an organizational perspective, have a think about someone else in your company who might also be interested in this, you know, share this podcast with them, have a chat with them about whether you want to buddy up and, you know, start experimenting with some more of this stuff within your company and see where that takes you. I mean, if you're able to find that that partner in crime, if you like, to, to get going with, like that's, it's, it's going to take you both and, and the rest of your team places that, yeah, will, will just, it will blow your mind where, where it takes you. you just got to start talking, start bringing other people together and, and, and go for it. Awesome. Well, thank you both. I think this has been an insightful conversation. It's it's fun to talk to people who who really walk their talk. You you created a company that works with research 
and then you go and also do the research every day. I, I think it's admirable. Uh, I, I want to be, I want to be more like you guys. <laughs> Thank you so you can't be something. Just, just get onto LinkedIn, as Nick said, and start. <laughs> you were doing it already. You, that's how you spoke to Nick. Yeah, there, there we go. Really it's really our pleasure. I've, I've also really enjoyed this conversation, Tommy. So thank you so much for setting this up and, and, and sharing this with, with your community. Yeah, yeah. Thank, I think, thank I you. I think what you're doing is really important there as well, and just yeah, getting messages out there from different people that, like you say, are just trying to figure it out as we go along as well. We certainly weren't experts when we started on this journey, and there's certainly a lot still to learn. All right. Well, we will put contact information in the show notes for Nick Russell and Dan Robbins. And if you want to learn more about them or connect with them, we'll we'll uh, make sure that you can do that. So thanks again, gentlemen. Enjoy Thank your you. your London evening. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank you very right. much. Take care. Cheers. All right, that will do it for this episode. Thanks for joining me as we continue to learn about the skills that can make us better designers and better humans. To see a comprehensive list of soft skills or if you want to share suggestions for future topics or guests, you can do all that on our website, skilledbydesign.com. Thanks again. We'll see you next time.